Well, I am going to uh, tell a quick story about my life. Um, in college, I spent a year studying in Mexico City. Uh, I'm a bit of an adventure seeker anyway, and it was an incredible opportunity. And I was determined that I was going to make the most of this experience. So, armed with the quintessential companion for every early 2000s traveler, the Lonely Planet Guidebook. Anybody else? <laughs> we, was the only way to travel. Um, <laughs> I used every weekend and school break that I had to work my way through my bucket list of things I wanted to experience while I was in Mexico. Uh, and this is the point at which I probably need to respectfully ask my mom to turn off her hearing aids. Um, because I'm about to tell the one story that validates every fear I think she had about my international travels. Um, <laughs> but one weekend, uh, a friend and I decided we were going to go hunt down this hole-in-the-wall place that is famous worldwide for having the best churros and hot chocolate. And so I look it up in the guidebook, and I figure out the two streets that it's on, and I grab my map of the city to plan out our route, which was like, it's Mexico City. There's 20-some million people there. It's a book. It, this is pre-GPS days, guys. So, like, this is what we had to work with. So I get my book, and I find the two streets, and I figure out where they intersect, and I find the closest subway station, and we head out two very obviously white girls, and a Lonely Planet guidebook ready to take on the biggest city in the world. <laughs> so you probably see where this one is going, right? <laughs> uh, we get off the metro stop, and we head confidently in the direction that we're going. And our first red flag um, probably should have been the fact that this major metro station was pretty much completely empty in the middle of the day. And then our second red flag probably should have been the fact that uh, after we'd walked about three blocks, we had not yet passed a single house, store, or most importantly, churro stand. But we had walked by at least 15 chop shops, uh, each with their own armed, how should we say this, like private security detail, I guess. <laughs> All of whom are staring at us like we have completely lost our minds. And my friend catches on much quicker than I do, so she's trying to quietly and calmly register her concern that we might not be in the right neighborhood. Um, and I'm undeterred. Like, we have made this plan. We've come all this way. Just one more block. We've got to be getting close now. Stay the course. So I was, like, so focused on chasing this epic brunch adventure that I completely ignored the signs, and I lost my way. And I ended up where I never intended to go, which... I later learned was one of the most dangerous neighborhoods, not just in the city, but maybe the whole world. Um, but ultimately, you know, my friend's wisdom prevailed. We turned around. We hurried back home. Uh, after that, she was strangely not so interested in joining me on my bucket list adventures. <laughs> but I did learn some valuable lessons from the experience, like the fact that in a city of 20 million people, there can be two streets with the same name. Um, and I was a much wiser traveler at, after that as a result. But I tell this story because I think we often do the same thing, metaphorically speaking, with our own lives. We get so sucked in to chasing what seems like a really good thing that it's all we can see. And sure, there are warning signs that are popping up here and there, but you've got your eye on the prize. So, like, you're just going to keep telling yourself, keep, stay the course, just a little bit more. I'm almost there. And before you even look up to realize what's happening, this narrow, focused pursuit has gotten you way off course. And we're going to talk about this more today, but I want to start by proclaiming some good news. 
that chasing our best life now by pursuing things like fortune, fame, fun, and fullness, it lures us down a path that leads us away from God. But when we resist the pull of these empty idols and we move toward God's kingdom instead, our best life is found right now and also forever. Now, this is week eight of this series we're calling Seriously, Jesus? <laughs> Which is a 10-week exploration of one of Jesus' most famous teachings called the Beatitudes. And in these opening statements of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is painting a shocking and beautiful picture of a whole new way to be human and what it really means to be blessed in God's kingdom. And now, each week so far, we've taken a look at one of these blessed statements. Uh, but today's a little bit unique because we've spent our time so far in the classic account of the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. But today we're going to jump over to the Gospel of Luke because Luke also records his account of the sermon that Jesus gave that day. And Luke includes a series of woe statements that Matthew does not. And these woe statements, they contrast with the blessings that we've already talked about. So we're going to take a look at it. The first part's going to feel very familiar. It's very similar to, to Matthew's account. And then the second part is what we're going to focus in on. Uh, he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, did you notice the contrast here? Jesus says, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are those who hunger, woe to those who are well-fed. Blessed are those who weep or mourn, woe to those who laugh. Blessed are you when you're hated and excluded and rejected, but woe to you when everybody's speaking well of you. What's going on here? What is Jesus up to? Now, it's important for us to know that to this first century Jewish crowd that Jesus is talking to, these woe statements would have felt pretty familiar, and they would have felt in them some nuance that it's easy for us to miss as 21st century Christians. Because these kind of woe statements, they were common in the Old Testament, especially uh, among what, what are known as the minor prophets. Um, it was a genre of scripture that's known as the woe oracles. And a good starting point for understanding these woe oracles is this. I want, when you see or read the word woe, W-O-E, I want you to think the other woe, W-H-O-A, woe, woe, slow down. These woe oracles are like warning signs to get us to slow down and pay attention. Kind of like the, the empty metro station and the chop shops along the way on my churros excursion. <laughs> These woe statements are like, hey, wake up. You might be headed in the wrong direction here. Now, I want to point out that these woes are not mathematical statements. They're not if this, then that kind of thing. Where, like, if you do this thing, God's going to zap you because he doesn't like it. That's not consistent with what we know about God's character revealed in Jesus. And it's not really consistent with the history of these woe oracles in scripture either. See, prophets are people to whom God gives the wisdom and the vision to be able to notice and name really tough truths. 
And the Old Testament prophets who used these types of woe statements, they, they did so to warn people that the path that they were pursuing was risky and it was likely to lead them someplace dangerous. So Jesus, he's doing the very same thing here. That's, that's what he's trying to do with these woe statements. He's saying, heads up, I know you think that this path that you're on right now is going to lead you to something really good, but I just, I have to warn you, this is a risky road. And you might actually be leading and heading further away from where you really want to go. You know what the Bible word for that is? When there's something that, like, we chase because it seems like it's going to be a really good thing, but it's actually empty and leads us somewhere else? It's called idolatry. Idolatry. And any time we try to secure the good life for ourselves apart from God by pursuing things like fame, fortune, fullness, and fun, those things become idols to us. And Jesus knows that chasing these idols, it, car- they, it carries its own natural consequences. Like continuing to go down that path, it leads us empty because the idols' promises are empty promises. They can never provide the kind of lasting security or significance or belonging that we're really after when we're chasing them. We can only find that kind of peace and wholeness and love and freedom in God, in his care, Because chasing our best life now by pursuing fortune, fame, fun, and fullness, that always leads us down a path away from God. And when we resist the pull of those empty idols, we move toward God's kingdom instead, then we begin to find the life we're really after, our best life, in the here and now and forever. I want us to take a look at each one of these empty idols that Jesus points out here. Uh, First, he says, "'Woe to you who are rich.'" This is the idol of fortune. It's when we chase money to try to secure a sense of power or security for ourselves instead of like leaning in and learning to trust God for our significance and security. And then he says, woe to you who are well fed. This is the idol we're going to call fullness. And it's really tempting to think this is just about food, but it's not. Although uh, gluttony may be one manifestation of this, the idol of fullness is really about any time we're trying to accumulate more than we need. It's when we're trying to uh, get enough of something, enough uh, items, enough money, enough, um, enough food, it can be enough whatever, so that we feel like we have everything we need already, so that we can have this little security wall around ourselves, instead of trusting that God will provide for us. And then he says, woe to you who laugh now. This is the idol of fun. Now, Jesus was a fun guy. When we see him, like, interact with the disciples, he was a funny guy. He, he embraced laughter. It's not that laughter is evil. What he's talking about is when we make life all about keeping ourselves entertained and trying to distract ourselves from any pain or inconvenience that comes up, rather than learning to lean in and find meaning and comfort in God's love when life is hard. And then the final one, he says, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. This is the idol of fame. This is when we're people pleasers (laughs) and we try to chase the approval and affirmation of others to provide for our sense of belonging instead of finding peace in the knowledge that we're already loved and accepted by our Father God right now, just as we are. Now, I want to point out that there is nothing inherently wrong with things like fortune or fame or fullness or fun. Those things are in and of themselves, not evil, just like there was nothing inherently wrong with, like, the churros and hot chocolate that we were after that day. Honestly, I have zero shame in telling you that I loved Mexico City, and if I ever get the chance to go back there, I am going to find those churros. 
this time with GPS. <laughs> but when we focus all of our effort and attention on pursuing things, thinking that they're going to satisfy our needs, our vision for anything else starts to blur. And we lose sight of the red flags that God has put ahead of us, trying to warn us that, man, these paths, they carry their own natural consequences. And they might distract us from pursuing the true satisfaction that we need in God's kingdom. Chasing our best life now by pursuing fortune, fun, fullness, and fame, it lures us down a path that leads away from God. And when we resist those kinds of empty idols, when we move toward God's kingdom instead, we find our best life now and forever. So what is it about these idols that are so empty and so dangerous to us? Um, I think a really helpful illustration that I heard is that idolatry is kind of like gravity. Like, you know the way gravity works where the nearer you get to the thing, the harder it pulls you in? <laughs> That's true here too. The nearer we get to the thing we're craving, the harder it pulls us in. And it just demands more and more and more. Um, John D. Rockefeller was widely considered the richest man in modern history. And he was famously asked by a reporter, how much money will be enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Which sounds tongue-in-cheek and funny in the moment, but I think it's so true of human nature, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, this is true of anything that we find ourselves pursuing ahead of God. We just keep arriving at each new milestone along the path that we thought when we got there, it would be enough. But then we get there and we realize, oh, I just need a little bit more. Just a few more zeros at the end of the account balance. Just a little more food in the pantry. Just a few more clothes in my closet. Just a little bit more praise from my boss. Just a few more parties or concerts or games or vacations. Endless, exhausting striving, all in the pursuit of just a little bit more. But there's good news to be found in this illustration, too. Because, guys, God's kingdom is also like gravity. And the closer we get to him the harder it pulls us in. The difference here is that at the end of that path, there is no empty promise. When we stop pursuing empty idols that distract us and we begin moving toward God, we find the satisfaction we're truly chasing. We find unconditional, sacrificial love and the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. Instead of constantly straining ahead for just a little bit more, life on the kingdom path is slower paced sometimes. <laughs> it's about taking these daily steps to move in the direction of Jesus and trusting that with each step we take, we'll find the security, the belonging, and the significance that we need. And when we get there, we find those needs met lavishly, abundantly, beyond our imagination. Chasing our best life now, when we pursue things like fortune, fame, fullness, and uh, I can't remember the one I missed, <laughs> fun. <laughs> You can tell how often I pursue that one. <laughs> that stuff lures us down a path that leads us away from God. But when we resist the pull of those kinds of empty idols and we move toward God's kingdom instead, we find our best life in the here and now and in forever. There's something else I want us to notice here, and this can be a little tough, um, about who Jesus was speaking to in this passage. Because while there may have been a handful of people who were in the crowd that day that had achieved a certain level of fortune, fame, fullness, or fun by their day's standards, 
Um, it's likely that the vast majority of the people who were in the crowd listening to Jesus were not experiencing that. <laughs> like, they were the poor, the broken, the mourning, the down and out kind of folks. They were the have-nots in the crowd. But their cultural and their religious context led them to believe that the people that had everything were clearly the ones God was blessing. And Jesus is correcting that false assumption here. He's basically saying, all of you who think you aren't blessed, good news, <laughs> you actually are. Because it's so much easier to embrace the life and freedom in God's kingdom when these other distracting idols aren't even an option for you. And all of you who think you're blessed because things are working out for you, you may not be. <laughs> Watch out. You think you're close to God because you have all this stuff when really it may be that the stuff is distracting you from the truly satisfying riches in God's kingdom. What incredible relief and hope that must have been. If you, were, if you were a poor Jew sitting on a hillside that day who felt like God's blessings had skipped right over you, to hear that the good life in God's kingdom was available to you, not just someday if you worked hard enough and did all the right things, but right now. But guys, like as Western Christians in the 21st century, I have to point out, we are living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and the vast majority of us are probably in the second camp. We are the rich, laughing, well-fed, well-spoken-of people who most likely would have been way too comfortable and too distracted to have spent our day sitting on a hill in the countryside listening to a controversial new rabbi. And if we had somehow found ourselves there, when he got to this point, we probably would have been thinking, seriously, Jesus, arms crossed, you know? This is the point where we're out. And even now, we get so distracted so easily by the empty idols, things like fortune, fame, fullness, and fun, that we lose sight of Jesus' loving warnings, that we might be walking down the wrong path. Chasing our best life now, pursuing fortune, fame, fun, and fullness, it's always going to lure us down a path that leads us away from Jesus. It distracts our focus. But when we resist that pull, we look toward Jesus and we move toward his kingdom we find the life we're looking for. So what do we do with this good news? I think it starts with us embracing a couple of things we talk about a lot around here. In fact, they're, they're our first two of what we call our 10 practices for becoming. And the first is this. We have to notice God's activity in and around us. We notice him at work. And we pay attention to the kinds of red flags that he's putting out there for us. And then we have to choose what we want more. We choose. As I was working on this message and preparing for it, um, I, I was wrestling with these words from Jesus myself this week, and I had to get really honest with myself about the fact that um, I've pretty easily found myself chasing probably the fame idol lately. And I, I will assure you, I have no interest in any sort of traditional meaning of fame, but I have found myself chasing other people's approval and affirmation a lot more than I want to admit lately. And it's been exhausting and distracting for me. Because when I get too worried about everyone liking me, I get really anxious and really perfectionistic about everything I say and do. And it's not a good look on me. <laughs> Ironically, it ends up making me really scattered, less productive, and less able to authentically connect with the people I'm trying to please in the first place. So this week, every time I've noticed that I'm in that space where I'm more focused on what other people think than what God says is true of me, 
and practicing just stopping to notice and name that. First to God and then to my husband or to a close friend of mine uh, who's been on speed dial this week. (laughs) But then before I can move forward and actually go back to the work and relationships God has put before me, I have to actually choose what I want more. I can choose to continue scrambling, trying to make myself look good or justify myself or wear myself out trying to meet everybody else's needs and expectations. Or I can choose to root myself first in my identity in God and trust him to provide what I need without having to hustle to get that met in somebody else. Because when I'm chasing my best life now, pursuing things like fame or fortune or fun or fullness, it lures me down a path that leads me away from my God. But when I resist the pull, when I notice that they're pulling on me and I turn toward God, I find my best life in him. I find that he meets me in the reality of where I am. And there's peace. So what about you? I think we all struggle with all of these idols from time to time. I mean, I know I have. But if you looked at your life right now, which one of these woe paths has the most pull on you right now? Which one's tugging at your heart? Is it fortune or fame, fullness, fun? What seemingly good or innocuous thing are you chasing that's keeping you from seeing the red flags that Jesus has placed along the way? And once you've noticed that, I want you to just like in your head name that to God. And the next step is to choose what you want more. Jesus did this all the time. (laughs) He didn't guilt or shame people into things. He just helped them see and invited them to choose. Do you want to keep heading down this path, chasing an idol, hoping that one day that just a little bit more will actually be enough? Or do you want to take Jesus up on his invitation to follow him instead and trust him to bless you with what your heart truly needs? Guys, if we're going to choose that kingdom path, I think it's possible we have to be willing to burn some bridges on the idol path. Uh, Jeremiah pointed out in uh, week five, I loved his illustration. He said, um, when we, in life and in in our faith life, when we keep uh, consuming junk food over and over again, we never give ourselves the opportunity to be hungry for the healthy, nourishing stuff. And we may have to lean into that and intentionally remove some distractions in our life that keep luring us down this idle path so that we can clearly see the path that leads to the blessed life in God's kingdom. Are there things coming to mind right now? Are there things you already know you need to let go of in order to choose the kingdom life? Jesus was so direct about this stuff. I love how he says this in Matthew 10, 39. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Before we go, guys, I want us to read that scripture out loud together. And we're just going to do this as an affirmation of the good news, that when we stop chasing empty idols and we move toward God instead, we're going to find the real abundant life he offers. It's a promise. So let's read that together. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life, for my sake, will find it. Let's pray. God, we confess that so many times we found ourselves chasing empty idols, like fortune, fame, fullness, and fun. 
And we were after good things, <laughs> but we lost our way. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to wake up to your activity and your presence in our lives. Help us to notice the red flags that you've put out there when we're being lured toward these empty idols. And God, when, when we notice that stuff, I pray that you would help us remember that we have a choice. Give us the strength to daily choose to take step after step toward you. To continually choose the more and better life available in your kingdom. Not just someday, but right now. We thank you for the promise of that, for the love and the grace of that. In your name, amen.